you have chosen to come tonight to worship with us as we celebrate the birth of the Savior. We are just a few hours now away from Christmas, and I have to, to tell you I'm pretty excited uh, because Christmas is always one of the my most favorite times of the year, and it's been like that since I was a little kid. I, I remember that when I was growing up, Christmas was just a huge event for my family. Uh, we, uh, we looked forward to it, we prepared for it, did all kinds of things getting ready for Christmas. I remember that my mom made kind of this like little calendar uh, for us when we were kids so we could count down how many days there were until Christmas. And, and it was made out of uh, uh, these candy canes. And we could take one candy cane off for every day until we got down to that one candy cane left and there was that one day left. And we were all excited because we knew that Christmas was just around the corner. We made all kinds of cookies and, and sweets and goodies and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And when Christmas Eve came, we would gather around our Christmas tree and we would uh, put a, a, a fire in the fireplace and we would gather around the tree and open our presents and just spend a lot of time together as a family. So this was, this was just an exciting time for me growing up. And I know a lot of you have memories like that and you have things like that you're going to be even doing tonight with your family as, as you, you spend time together. But even with all these great memories that we have, and all the joy that we have with all these things with friends and family. The thing I want to remind us about tonight is that the reason we're celebrating here at Christmas time isn't because of families coming together. It's not because of, of good times we get to have with friends. It's not even because of the, of, of the time of fellowship that we have together as a church. But this right here. This is the reason why we gather together tonight to celebrate the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ that God chose to send His Son to dwell among us. The, the joy I had when I was a, a child around Christmas and all the fun that we had in presents and all that doesn't compare to the joy that I have now have from having experienced Christ myself. And so that's why we're gathered here tonight, because God chose, when He did not have to, He chose to come take on flesh and to dwell among us. He chose the God who created everything, the God who spoke and called everything into existence, chose to be born 2,000 years ago. The baby, to be laid in a manger, a, a trough for feeding animals, to dwell among sinful men. And so that's what we celebrate tonight. But before we can really even go on in talking more about the coming of Christ, before we can even go more in, in celebrating the coming of Christ, we need to really understand why it is that Christ came. Why it was necessary that God take on flesh and come to dwell among us. And so I want us to go back and actually think back all the way back to the beginning. Because I know this is a, a, a narrative that you're familiar with. As we think back to, to Genesis, how God created everything. You know what Genesis 1-1 says that God uh, he, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He called and spoke everything into existence. And we know what happened. You know what happened with Adam and Eve how God made Adam and Eve and he put them in the, the beautiful garden of Eden and he gave them every single thing that they could ever want. And I want you just to imagine and think for just a moment about the perfect joy they had unhindered by anything, perfect relationship that they are experiencing with God during that time. And there's just one command that God gave them. One command for them not to do. And that was to eat of the, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know exactly what happened. 
Satan came, brought temptation before Eve, and then they both took and ate of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. And you know what happened after that? Because of their sin, because of what they did, God removed them from that perfection that they had there in the Garden of Eden. He kicked them out. There's an angel with a flaming sword standing before the garden so they could not go in. And not only were they not allowed back into the garden, but, but sin entered into the world. And so we see from that point on, death entering into the world and sin entering into the world. And we're not talking about just people physically dying, but we're seeing here that spiritual death, separation from God, Every single person who comes after Adam, every man, every woman, every child who comes after Adam, carries with them that sin. The spiritual death that we hear about there in Genesis chapter 1. We see a people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. The people who are lost without hope. Now this is kind of a dark thing for us to think about as we're here, you know, we come together to celebrate and sing for joy tonight. Some of the songs that we sing around Christmas are joy to the world, and so this seems to be kind of a hard thing to think about tonight in this night of joy, but really, before we can really understand the joy of the, of the manger, we have to understand why that manger had to be, why it was necessary for the sun to come. And you see, what happened was that that when Adam sinned, all the world with him was plunged into sin. That every single person who came after him was dead in their trespasses and sin. Christmas is a time of great joy for us. But we need to remember the reason that the Messiah came was because you and I and the whole rest of the world was lost and dead in sin. You see, that's what we see over and over again in the Old Testament. We see in Isaiah 53, 6, it tells us that, that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every single person, me and you, every single person that's ever existed. David, when he was writing in Psalm 14, he told us a, a, an even harder truth about us. And this is David. He's called a man after God's own heart, but, but he's the same guy who committed adultery and, and committed murder, had somebody killed. And this is what David said in Psalm 14. He says, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9 2 says that people walk in darkness. Have you ever been in complete darkness before? I went on a tour once in Mammoth Cave. And if you've ever been in there, you know it's, you go back for miles into the caves. You can take these tours that go far back. And I went on one of these tours, and as the tour guy took us back there, he, he told everybody, okay, stop. Stand where you are, don't move. And he flipped off the light. And when he did, it was absolute, complete, total darkness. And when I was standing there, there was no hope I had of getting outside of that cave by myself. If those lights didn't come on, I was just stuck there. And they'd have to send somebody to come in and find me because I couldn't find my way out. That's the way Scripture describes us without Christ. In darkness. No hope of us ever getting out of that darkness without someone leading us out, without the light being turned on. 
See, this was the state of the world that Christ came into. This was the state of me prior to coming to know Christ in darkness, dead in my sins, without hope. But what John talks about, John talks about a light coming in the midst of the darkness. And that's what we're remembering tonight. That's what we're celebrating tonight. That in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the time when we were dead in our sins, the light came. So right now, before Todd comes up here in a few minutes, we're going to have uh, just a few scriptures from the Old Testament that point us to Christ. So as these are read, think about them. Think about the promised Messiah who is coming to lead us out of darkness of sin and into the light of God. people who walk in darkness see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely, and do justice and righteousness in the land. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and strength, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. She will call his name Emmanuel. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. God walked us through the scriptural teaching of our condition outside of Christ. Our teaching, our condition in sin is being dead to sin, in bondage to sin, in darkness, a people without hope. And we heard passages there of Old Testament prophets telling the good news that a Savior would be born, a Messiah would be sent. And it was these passages that the people of the Old Testament would have clung to. It was these promises that they wrapped their hope around. That one day God would send the Messiah. God would send the Savior to the earth. And we are very accustomed to the passage from Luke 2 that we began with tonight. Many of us have heard that over and over and over. We tell that to our kids. Some of the kids in here have it memorized on the chapter. And we're very familiar with this passage. It's a passage that simply tells of a story of a Savior being born, of the Son of God coming. Is that, I'm going to turn this off and see this. Is this all right? flesh 
of a child being born in a manger. The mightiest of kings born in the humblest of situations and circumstances. And we know of the story of the angels coming to the shepherds, the shepherds coming to see him. We know the story of the wise men coming, bearing gifts from afar. And we hear that story over and over and over and over and over again to where it almost becomes simple routine that we expect to hear, we expect to read it on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And then after Christmas Day, we close our Bibles and we move on about our life. And it's easy to become distracted by all the hoopla and all the gifts and everything around Christmas. It's easy to become distracted by traditions. It's easy to become distracted by religion, by simply just hearing that passage over and over, to be distracted by familiarity with that passage. And so tonight, I want us to look at a, a passage. If you have your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles with you tonight. Turn to Galatians 4 with me. I want us to look at what is the significance of the coming of Christ. Because I, I would guess, even those of you in here, in here that do not ever come to church, maybe this is the only time you come to church, is on Christmas and Easter. Perhaps that's you. I would say that even you, if I asked you and said, well, tell me about the coming of Christ. Tell me about the birth of Jesus. You could tell me almost verbatim Luke 2. Because it's been ingrained in you even through our culture. You've heard it. Because that's okay to tell around Christmas time. But if we looked and said, what is the significance of the coming of Christ? I'm not sure that we all know that. And tonight, as we prepare to celebrate and to continue in worship, I want us to think about what is the significance of the coming of Christ. So turn with me to Galatians 4. We'll read verses 3 through 5 together. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental teachings of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. I want to just look at three quick things tonight. Three quick truths that this passage teaches us about the significance of the coming of Christ. The first thing is in verse 4, the first part of verse 4, we see that God's plan is in place. That God had a plan here. It says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. When the fullness of time came, when the perfect time came, when everything was aligned. You have theologians that will look and say all the religious conditions were right. All the historical conditions were right. Even the political conditions were right with the Roman Empire. Everything aligned perfectly that time for God's plan to come into this point in time to send His Son. And we see here that our God is an intentional God. This is not a time where He said, well, I guess this is as good a time as any. I'll send Jesus now. Or, well, I don't have a better time. I really wanted to do it next year, but I'm going to have to do it now because look what they've gone and done. Now, this is the fullness of time. This is just the right time. And Scripture teaches us in Acts and 1 Peter that the plan of God, the life and death of Christ, was a part of God's plan from eternity past. From eternity past, this was always part of God's plan that He would send His Son to redeem His people. He would send His Son to do what we could not do. And so the fullness of time came. God's plan came and He sent forth His Son. He did what we were unable to do. He sent the Son. He initiated salvation. It was not something we forced Him to do or we thought up 
or we reached for, or we strove for. But it was something that God did for us. God sent his son. So that's the first thing you see God's plan in verse 4. Look at the second part of verse 4. You see the perfect sacrifice. God, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Think about those three statements. Who did God send? God sent who? His son. What is the significance of this? His son. I mean, think about that for a moment. What does that tell us? That tells us that Jesus Christ was fully God. He, he didn't send a priest. He didn't send a religious zealot. He didn't send a really good guy or a great teacher. He sent his son, God incarnate. God became flesh. This means that he was holy, he was righteous, he was pure. It means he was born without sin. Unlike us, that he was perfect and spotless and unblemished lamb. God sent his son. Born of who? Born of a woman. Now what does this tell us? We get in the great mystery that is the incarnation, the coming of Christ. God made flesh. Born of a woman. That Jesus was fully man. He, he was fully man. That he came to us. He took on our likeness. Came in the appearance of a man. He experienced the things that we experience. He took on flesh. He went through the trials and the temptations. He became man. He identified and become our great high priest. And it says he was born under the law. Now this is important. Christ was born under the law. He was born under the same requirements that you and I face. When we complain, and go, oh, well, I, I can't do that. I mean, man, look at the Ten Commandments. Somebody says, hey, have you ever followed all the Ten Commandments? Well, of course, none of us would. We all feel guilty when somebody goes, hey, let's rattle them off. I don't know if you've ever had somebody. I know at camp one year they did that and said, let's, let's do that. And I was thinking, yeah, this will get the students. And by like the second one, I was going, man, I am a loser. <laughs> you know? I mean, just going through the Ten Commandments right there kills you. I mean, it just kills you as you realize, man, I am rotten. I am a sinner. When Scott tells us our condition outside of Christ, that is me. And we sometimes get down on ourselves and complain about that and go, well, man, but Jesus, he was different. No, he was born under the law. He was born under the same requirements that you and I live under. He lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. And he died the penalty of the law, the punishment of the law for us. You see, he lived according to the law. He lived a pure and spotless and unblemished, a perfect life, a holy life. This is significant. So we know that God had a plan. We know that Jesus Christ was a perfect sacrifice because he was sinless. And the third thing we see is God's purpose. Look at verse 5, God's purpose. Why do we have this manger scene? Why is he coming? Why did he have to come for the sins of the people? Why? The purpose, there's, there's two purpose statements here in verse 5. So that he might redeem those who are under the law. Redeem, it's, it's a simple word to buy back or to buy out. It was a term used of slaves when their freedom was purchased in ancient times. It's a, it's a market term. It's a term of, of buying someone enslaved to something. And we are enslaved to sin. We see that in verse 3. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental teachings of the world. Jesus says in John 8, 34, that anyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave to sin. 
This is, a, this is a binding condition that outside of Christ, you're in bondage to the elemental teachings of the world. Even the elemental teachings of religion that say you have to do this and do that and do this and go to church here and go to church there and go to church on this day and that day. If I go to church on Christmas Eve or on Easter, then I should be okay, I hope. And we fall and pray and we fall enslaved to those elemental teachings. And Christ says anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But the purpose for this child that's born is that we would be redeemed, bought out of that slavery. And what is the purpose of that redemption? The purpose of that redemption, verse 5, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The adoption of sons. Some of you in this room have a great understanding of adoption this side. You understand what it takes. The love it encompasses to look upon a child that you know nothing about and say, I love you and I choose you. You will be a part of my family because no other reason but I love you and my choosing. And we are redeemed so that, so that we may have the adoption as sons. In the Greek, it's a conjunction of son and a placing. It means to give the status of sonship to someone who is not a natural child. To give the status of sonship to someone who's not a natural child. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave, <clears throat> he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. This is the good news. That this is the good news that we celebrate tonight. That the coming of this child, the birth of Christ, the incarnation, God made flesh, was a part of God's plan, His perfect plan from eternity past, to redeem you, to buy you and out, you and I out of slavery, and to adopt you into the family of God. That's why we celebrate. That's why we have joy. That's why we can sing joy to the world. Joy to the world. That's why we can stand tonight rejoicing that when we were sinners, Christ demonstrated His own love for us in, the, in this, that He sent His Son to die for us. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And we want you know, to know tonight that if you sit here tonight and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, that the good news of Christmas is more than presence. It's more than a sentimental feeling. It's more than Christmas cheer. The meaning of Christmas is the coming of Christ. That is, we are separated from our sin, from God. Due to our sin, from, we are separated from God. That God sent His Son to die on the cross for you and I. And He rose again three days later. That all who believe in Him shall be saved. And we want you to know tonight that it's not about coming to church. It's not about being religious or doing good things. It's about are you a child of God Almighty? And the only way you're a child of God Almighty is if you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Tonight, I don't know where you are and what your standing is with Christ. I don't know if you stand in bondage to sin or if you've been freed from it. 
But Romans 10.9 states very simply that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So tonight, Jeff's going to come up and the worship team's going to lead us in one in some more worship through praise. And as we sing this song, we're not going to do an invitation where you come forward and talk to me or Scott. But what we do want to do is offer you a time to respond to His Word. Because some of you in here tonight need to look to God and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To believe in Him for the first time. To repent of your sins and to trust Him as Lord. And if you would like to do that tonight, we just want to encourage you to do that between you and God. Just cry out to God. Just pray. We're going to stand and work.